Do you know that you've been chosen by God? Handpicked by Him. You know, we appreciate our partnership with Anderson University. Joe Weehunt, most of you know, is on our staff, but he's also professor of worship at Anderson University. So that's how this arrangement, this partnership works. You know, as these young folks sing, I, I want you to appreciate their talent, of course. But more than that, I want you to appreciate, if you see them, thank them for bringing you into the presence of God. That's what worship's about, more than performance. It's about you having an experience with God, and they just have helped to lead that for us. We continue our series this morning, and what's it called? For who? For you, that's right. So we're focusing on God's desires for each of our lives. God's will for us individually is particular. He has, a, he has a specific plan for each person. And that, that desire of God for us individually serves as our mission for our church collectively. The church, our church shouldn't have any other agenda than the agenda God has placed on each of us individually. Now last week we learned God's purpose. You remember what it is? Come on, somebody, give me an answer. Y'all get loud. Yes, to have a relationship, to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Now, today I'm focusing on God's plan. That was God's purpose last week. God's plan is related. God's plan is that we pursue a relationship with Jesus, but here's how we do it. How? By faith. By faith. It's the only way it happens. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you can take out your, um, you have your message guide, but then there's an outline, as you can see on the, the front two panels are the outline for Sunday morning. The third panel is your homework for, that you can use for your small group or do yourself at home, and then the back is your preparation. has your daily readings, but if you have the Brookwood app, it will send you that day's reading. So let me urge you, step into the process, participate along with us so we can grow together as a church family. Hebrews 11.1. 1, on top of your outline. Faith is the confidence. That what we hope for. Will actually happen. It gives us assurance. About things we cannot see. Now the word faith. The Greek word that's translated faith. Is pistis. And it's translated in various ways in the Bible. It's translated as belief, as trust, but it also means reliance, confidence, and add this one, dependence. Add dependence. Faith is confidence that what God has promised in His Word will happen. Why? Because he's all-powerful, sovereign, and eternally trustworthy. See, sometimes we say, well, by faith I believe God will do something. Give me the, the house, the spouse, the car, the whatever. 
But faith can only be in what God has promised. Not in what we want. Biblical faith is not wishful thinking about what I hope will happen. It's not blind trust in someone we can't see. Rather, it's confident reliance in someone we know. A divine person who reveals himself through his word, but also through personal experience. So just several things I want us to understand about faith this morning. First, faith is the source of salvation. Now this verse, you you don't have to turn there. We should all know John 3.16 is the most familiar statement. Now because we've memorized it in different forms, we will follow the version that's found in in this Bible, in the New Living For God loved the world so much. Now, for the people who received this, who heard it first, who were what nationality? What religion? Jewish. They would have been shocked at that statement. Because they understood that the Old Testament only spoke of God's love for Israel alone. Now, they overlooked a lot. Because God had told Abraham that you'll be a blessing to the world. But, but they, they would narrow the focus. And they, it was like they owned God by themselves, they thought. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish in eternal judgment. But will have eternal life in the presence of God. So faith as the source of salvation means being convinced that what the Bible says about the possibility of being forgiven by believing in the substitutionary death of Jesus is true. That's what faith is. It's interesting because we live in a day where a lot of people... Edit out anything they don't agree with. Moral statements, statements of belief. And they just, if you know, Jefferson, um, Thomas Jefferson had a version of the Bible where he cut out all the miracles. And they even, you can see it in a museum. That he just cut, he just took scissors, literally, and cut out every every miracle that he believed. He thought Jesus had good teaching, but he didn't really believe in the miraculous. But some of us are living that way. We just say, well, what I believe is the gospel part. But you know what? The gospel part is found the same place as the instructive part that tells us about how to live. You lose one, you lose the other. Faith is believing that the undeserved death of a man in Jerusalem more than 2,000 years ago was sufficient to purchase forgiveness for me today. That's really strange, isn't it? I mean, if you just really stop and think about it. 
How could what a guy did 2,000 years ago who was put to death have any effect on what I'm doing today? That's what you're believing. It's almost ridiculous, isn't it? You're not scared to shake, agree with that, right? The problem is we have grown so familiar with these little phrases that they have lost their startling meaning. Faith is relying on the fact that Jesus' sacrifice so long ago made me right with God today. Romans chapter 3. Y'all turn there. Now y'all, everyone, bring your Bibles. Y'all, we want to dig in here. I'm hoping that you're with me. You know I'm pushing. Yes, I'm pushing. I'm trying to prepare us. I don't see this culture getting better. So we need to know who we know. We need to know that we know the Savior. Romans 3, verse 22. That's the memory verse for today. I mean, for this week. Verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. No matter what you've done. For everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness. What is that? Undeserved kindness? Grace. Declares that we are righteous. You know what that is? That's justification. God is acquitting you of your sins. God judiciously is declaring you innocent. That's justification. And he did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. I've taught you a few weeks ago the word propitiation. Jesus propitiated for us. In other words, Jesus received the wrath of God against sin. Jesus' death and his punishment on the cross appeased God's anger. You may say, well, I don't like thinking of God that way. No, but that's, a, that's, that's just truth. A holy God is offended, incensed by sin. And there has to be propitiation. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. 
Because you see, it looks like God's not just. Because all these people had been sinning for all these years, for a couple of thousand years. And it doesn't look like God's doing anything about it. And God's justice demands that every sin and every sinner be punished as they deserve. So why did he delay the punishment? For people who lived before Jesus' arrival. Romans 3.26. For he was looking ahead. What was he looking at? What? Cross. And including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Here's what I want us to get. Okay, I said, I might say, okay, well, how were these people forgiven who lived before Jesus? You know? A lot of it's common that people would say, oh, by the sacrifices they took to the temple. No one was forgiven by the sacrifice of a bull, a goat, a pigeon. Never. All that blood was shed, yes, as an object lesson. That the soul that sins must die. And someone has to pay. No one was forgiven by offering animal sacrifices in the temple. Abraham, David, Moses were all saved the same way as you are. The difference is that their sins were one, two, five, six thousand years before Jesus' crucifixion and ours are 2,000 years after. God's not limited by time. The reality of the cross was as real in the time of David as it is today. So the sins of those who lived in the old, olden days were moved forward. The sins of us who live in the present day or move backward. The crucifixion of Jesus displayed the justice and the mercy of God. And that is the heart of Christianity. There is no deeper truth than that old rugged cross. Are you saved? Have you been made right with God by believing in something that hardly seems believable? That the sacrifice of one man was sufficient for your sins. And yours too. Bruce Coe, yours too. Jane, 
I'm not leaving you out. The gathering of all of our individual specific sins. And Christ's death was sufficient. That's the gospel. So I don't know. Ask God to reveal this to you. And you know what? I know there's some that almost resent me challenging you in this way. That's not a good sign. Ask God to show you your true spiritual state. Not because of prayer you prayed years ago. Not because of baptism that happened decades ago. Right now, where do you stand spiritually? Let God's Spirit tell you that. Faith is received by revelation. Matthew 16. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? That's, that's what Jesus called himself most commonly, the Son of Man. Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. See, the Old Testament prophets in, in their prophecies spoke of a Messiah who would come as a great prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, Malachi 4, 5. And then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? And guess who spoke up? Peter always blurted out. Y'all know anybody like that? A question's asked of the whole crowd and one guy always thinks it's his job to answer. That's, that's you. We've got some confession going on up here. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word. And it's the same as what Greek word? Who knows? Christ. And what does it mean literally? It means anointed one. The word Messiah, Hebrew. The word Christ in Greek both mean the anointed one. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. But now notice this, Jesus' response. You are blessed. That's something that happened to you. Simon, son of John, or in some of your translation, bar Jonah. That doesn't mean he went somewhere to get a drink. Bar means son of. You are blessed, Simon, bar John, or Jonah. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. The truth of Jesus' identity was not determined or discovered by Simon Peter or any of the other disciples. It was revealed to him by God's Spirit. Now, people must respond with, with personal trust and understanding of the gospel. But this conviction, being sure that it's true, occurs always and only by revelation. 1 Corinthians 
But people who aren't spiritual... Now remember, there's no, there's no one-for-one word Greek and, and English translation. So what's, what's translated people who aren't spiritual could also literally be translated people who don't have the Spirit or people who only have physical life. So people who aren't spiritual, who don't have the Spirit, who have only physical life, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It sounds foolishness to them. And they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Now this is a reference to understanding biblical truth or in the context what was being taught by apostles. But it also is just as true that you can't even believe the identity of Jesus unless the Spirit of God shows you. Now, I'm not saying you can't hear the gospel. Many people hear the gospel. Many people could explain it. They know the good news. But they do not respond to it in faith. Because faith is a gift. The saving message about Jesus cannot be simply grasped humanly or logically. Now, I'm not saying that you can't accept some facts about Jesus' life. You can study history or whatever. You say, you know, he really did live, and I believe this. I believe and believe he was God's son. But the gospel must be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit in a way that can't be doubted or denied. Has this happened to you? Instead of you grasping this truth, this truth is grasping you. The Spirit convinces us of the truth of the gospel message. And when He convinces you of it, it changes you. This is not some little shallow, I prayed a prayer, I got baptized, I walked in. That's not what we're talking about. You can do that humanly. And it's not transformative. When the Spirit of God reveals truth to you, you are changed. Now for this to occur, you need to hear the gospel. There are some facts that are essential. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But don't don't make that a shallow statement. Name is the identity of Christ. Lord is the relationship you come into with Him. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? That He can save them. That quote was from Joel chapter 2. It's an Old Testament quote. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? You have to have some information, some knowledge about him. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Someone has to inform them about the good news. 
And how, can any, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Someone must be sent by God. You know what? When you're sent by God, there will be a response. When you go on your own, not necessarily. Still good to, to explain it to people. But it's when God sends you there. You'll see the response. True faith does include content about the life and death of Jesus. But look at this. In, in continuing 15. That is why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Isaiah 52, 7. But not everyone welcomes the good news. You say, well, how can anyone deny that? Most of our nation denies it. We have family members who have denied it. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Isaiah 53, 1. But, he, but implied is, but Lord, people don't believe our message. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. So people have to be told, are you sharing the gospel with anyone? You know, I, I, I hang around with Jerry Fry. Y'all hear me talk about him. Jerry really was saved a few years ago. He doesn't care about much else but reaching people. And he and I were sitting at Culver's. And there was this woman in there working. And she, I mean, she was so dutiful. You know what I mean? She was cleaning up behind us. And what do you need? Can I get you something? Let me refill your drink. Let me, you know, do you want something? You want some of those fried cheese curds? You know, I mean, she didn't say the last one, but. And she was so attentive. And I said, so, thank you for your kindness. And she said, you don't know what you've done for me. She said, you were in here with a man wearing a baseball cap. And that man invited me to Brookwood Church. And we came. And God has done a work Throughout our family. And it was that man with the baseball cap. And I said, that's him. He just doesn't have a baseball cap. <laughs> that's being a person with beautiful feet. That you convey the message. In the last month, how many of you have shared the good news with someone? I want to see your hands. Folks, if we know we live in a lost culture, we got to be about more than that. Let me give you this one. How many have invited somebody to church with you? Let me see your hands on that one. Those of you that aren't doing it either need to ask the question, what am I doing? And ask God to send you to someone specific who needs to know him. But I already said that you won't, they won't believe unless it's revealed. So pray twice as much as you talk. You know, I'm, this is a great church. I know no church in the nation that does as many wonderful things as this church. Overseas, giving away the significant part of our budget. Caring about people. Transformation prayer. 
all kinds of service projects, wonderful things. But folks, let me say this. We're lacking in prayerfulness. And God doesn't do anything supernaturally significant apart from prayer. How much are you praying? We gather at 8.15. I want to urge you. If you want to see God work in our midst, save someone you know. I want to ask you to gather with us. I know people pray other times, but not that much other times. I want to urge you. I want us to be a praying church so God cannot ignore our cries. I want to see people saved. I want to see a culture changed. It will only happen by prayer. It will not happen by clever preaching. It will not happen by wonderful programming. It will not happen by talented people on a stage. It will happen how? By prayer. Faith is evidenced by action. James chapter 2. Verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Which means it's, it's not really genuine faith. This is, this is without spiritual life. There, there can be no genuine faith that fails to change you. There can be no authentic faith that doesn't produce deeds of kindness, love, mercy. This passage in particular is talking about caring for the poor. But it also includes other works of service and charity and love. But, but what he's saying, and remember, whatever Perry says, you get to do what with? Throw it away. If it's not in this word. Okay? Faith that's not accompanied by action is unable to save. Faith that has not changed you is not true faith. Now, faith is solely by grace. Don't get confused. Faith is not based on our efforts as a condition. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But what I'm saying is once received by grace, it will always be evidenced by action. Do you believe that? It will always be apparent in your behavior. You will specifically change and you'll start... Demonstrating some deeds, some works, some tasks of service and charity. Because saving faith transforms a life. So that, that a person is now loved by God and in turn loves God and wants to please Him. Just out of sheer appreciation. Verse 18. Now, someone may argue, well, some people have faith, others have deeds. You ever heard that? That's not the way they say it. 
Here's what they say. My faith is a personal, private thing between me and God. No, it's not. No, it isn't. It is transformative of you. And he answers that very statement. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. Reflecting a change of life and values. True faith will be seen. It will be displayed. It's like love in that, in that way. It's a relationship. Do you think that, that love is unseen? Love is very tangible. It's very visible. It alters how you act. Doesn't it? I realized that, you know, I do a lot of studying. It may not show. But I can get a little distracted and preoccupied. Is that true, Aubrey? There you go. Peanut gallery. And I realized it was time for me to show some appreciation for my, my wife. And I said, I'm going to buy you something to wear pretty. I don't know where she is. She probably has it on. But. So she said, you are? Are you going to go with me? I said, I'm going to go with you. To the mall? <laughs> I am going to the mall. Now, I thought it was going to happen on Friday. And then this appliance guy got there late and to fix the refrigerator. So it had to go to Saturday, which was when the University of Georgia was playing. And I'm a graduate. And I was there during the national championship days. And I don't have, I don't have any football channels. So I only get what's on the everybody channels, you know. So I like watching it. And so she said, well, Georgia's playing, are they? We can go later. I said, no, I'm not watching Georgia, which was a relief later, I found out. <laughs> but, but you know what? I said, no, I'm going with you. I want you to know you matter more to me than this television game. And so we later, we had fun, and I started calling it Leanne Day. But the point I'm making by that, if you love someone, it will not be hidden. It'll show. Verse 19. Oh, I forgot to tell you all this. And so while I was there, oh, I selected clothes. I don't know where she is, but she can, wherever she is, she can yell, yeah, he selected clothes. And they even looked good. And so I, she's a little wisp of a thing. And so there wasn't a dress that, and so I had to get this dress off this mannequin. <laughs> but because I'm regenerate, I asked permission first. And I was talking to this woman. I said, hey, can I have this dress off this mannequin? And this woman looks at me. And I said, I'm not struggling with my gender. I just want that dress off that <laughs> mannequin. And so someone tried to help me, but I knew I could, I mean, I wrangled that mannequin faster than she did. Pulled those hands off, pulled that shirt, you know, got that shirt. I got the dress. Here it is. Left the woman, the mannequin looking quite embarrassing. But, um, <laughs> but my point, 
is if you love, it'll show. And if it isn't showing in you toward Christ, toward your spouse, you need to look, have a long, hard look in the mirror. Verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Now that was a, that was a, a, a Hebrew, the Shema it's called. And it was a core Jewish creed. It's found in Deuteronomy 6.4. It's found in Mark 12.29. It's found at Romans 3.20. But you know what? It's interesting, isn't it? That it's also the shallow faith of our culture. I believe in God. So what? Believing in God alone gets you nowhere. That's not biblical salvation. Because look what he says. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. So if you believe there's a God, then you have demonic faith. Why would the demons believe that? Huh? Why would the demons believe that? Because it's true. Demons know what's true. But the fact that it's true affects them. Look what it says. And they tremble in terror. Some of us say, I believe in God. It has no effect on our lifestyle, on our morality. Merely acknowledging what's true in the Christian faith doesn't alter your life. And it's not sufficient for salvation. And so James closes. He says, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And the reason is because it's not real faith. It's just accepting some religious facts. Is your faith evidenced by action? Faith is also tested by trials. 1 Peter 9.78. All right, I'm moving fast. He's writing to people who are persecuted in Asia Minor. And he says at verse 6. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. You know what that little while means? Perhaps the rest of their lives. Perhaps the rest of their lives. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold. I wonder how many of us would regard our faith as truly more precious than gold. Or wealth, or riches, or celebrity. Trials and troubles, pain and suffering reveal whether our faith is genuine. So how do you respond to difficulties, to disappointments, to deprivation? See, if you're, if you're in relationship with God, when you suffer, you go to Him and you cling desperately and you cry out urgently. If your faith is just a shallow American cultural religion, then if something bad happens, you get mad. Perhaps resentful and might even walk away. But we looked at this in 1 John. 1 John 2.19 says, And they went out from us, but it's because they never truly belonged to us. 
verse 7. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it brings praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. So if you'll stand strong, your faith will be rewarded when Christ returns. Isn't that amazing? That he's returning and yet he's going to acknowledge, I saw what you did. I know you stood. I know you suffered. I know you were criticized. I know you were left out socially. But I'm proud of you. Faith is strengthened through trust, finally. Colossians 2.6. Oh, 9.50. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. And the word Lord means sovereign authority. It means He's the Master. So sometimes we say, I pray Jesus is Lord. No, no. He's not your Lord unless He's your Lord means he calls the shots in your life, and you obey. So if we want to grow, if we want to deepen and strengthen our faith, we have to continue to obey his direction in every area. And he continued at verse 7, Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, And you will overflow with thankfulness. Are you building your life on God's truth? Because if you are, you'll gain ever greater familiarity. Ever ever deeper intimacy with Him. And as you do, God will grow great and large in your life. And you'll see Him as good and generous in the way He deals with you. But see, instead of judging from a human-centered, self-centered perspective, which really kind of mistrusts God whenever circumstances are unpleasant, we determine to trust Him. That's your decision. Wherever you are right now, you have a bad diagnosis. You've lost, you need a job. You're struggling financially. You're in pain. You're in depression. You're in agony. What do I do? You decide to trust. And you trust 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 and you you don't stop trusting. The truth has to be bigger than the circumstances. And we believe that God knows what's best. And he will never abandon us. I'm about to quit, but y'all hold your seats. Do you determine to trust God in difficult and painful circumstances? Soul training this week is how do I evidence saving faith? Now, I'm going to let you vote for the ministry plan. Like I said, hold your seat just another minute or two. If you have, you've reviewed this ministry plan and you support us following this as our our guide for spending this year, I want you to vote by standing.
If you disagree, hold your seat and we will interview you at 5 o'clock today. (laughs) Now, I want our counselors to come forward because what's more important is what happens now. So y'all hold on just one more minute. You know, as I'm preaching this, some of you are saying, you know what? I don't know if I'm even saved. There are people here who will counsel with you, who will pray with you, who will anoint you with oil if you have an illness. And I want you to respond. Y'all hold your seats. Hold your places. This is the most important part. 20 minutes earlier out of the parking lot is not as important as this is. I want to give you a blessing out of Ephesians chapter 3. You can close your eyes, you can open your eyes, you can do whatever you want. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, the Father will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. And your roots will grow down into God's love And keep you strong. Father, bless our lives. Draw us to yourselves. Let us know your love. And strengthen us by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for coming.